It's 12 o'clock and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT. On 100.1 FM, it's your public radio station. Broadcasting from beautiful downtown Kodiak, where it is 62 degrees according to the weather service, 66 according to our temperature gauge on the tiny porch outside the station, and Sail Drone thinks it's 64. Stay tuned for news. Live from NPR News, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Steep drop in U.S. stocks today with the Dow falling more than 900 points before gaining ground again. It ends the day down 737 points or more than 2%. NPR's Scott Horsley explains. Investors are rattled by the rapid rise in new COVID cases in countries where vaccines are not widely available and in parts of the United States where people have been slow to get the shots. The sharp drop in U.S. stocks follows a similar sell-off in overseas markets. Stock prices are plunging despite what's expected to be a strong season of corporate profits. S&P Global Intelligence predicts that earnings in nearly every industry will show gains from a year ago. Oil prices also dropped sharply after OPEC and other big producers agreed to gradually expand output to meet rising demand. That should help to lower the cost of gasoline, though prices at the pump have not fallen yet. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. Well, President Biden is insisting that the recent run-up in inflation is temporary. As NPR's Asma Khalid reports, his comments came as he continues to push his economic agenda. The president is trying to get ahead of any potential criticism about rising prices. Biden insists his infrastructure plans will improve the economy in the long run. That won't increase inflation. It will take the pressure off of inflation give a boost to our workforce, which leads to lower prices in the years ahead. The president also rejected the idea that current prices should be worrisome. There's nobody suggesting there's unchecked inflation on the way. No serious economist. Many Republicans are arguing that higher prices are the result of the big COVID relief package Democrats passed back in March. Asma Khalid, NPR News, the White House. The U.S. and its allies are formally accusing the Chinese government of a cyber espionage campaign, including the hack on Microsoft email systems. NPR's John Ruwich explains the significance of the announcement. I think on a couple of levels it's significant. The first is explicitly and publicly linking this hacking to China's Ministry of State Security, which is its secret police effectively, and linking them to contract hackers is something new. It really takes this beef with China over hacking a, a step further. The coordination is also significant. You know, the Biden team has put China at the top of its list of security challenges. and. It's really put an emphasis on on trying to gather strength in numbers, trying to join hands with like-minded partners to push back against China. NPR's John Ruwich. The State Department says it is vigorously investigating reports of unexplained health incidents among U.S. diplomatic personnel in Vienna, Austria. The New Yorker magazine had previously reported that about two dozen U.S. intelligence officers and other officials said they'd suffered mysterious symptoms this year. Some of the symptoms are reported to be similar to those experienced by U.S. diplomats in Cuba, forces closed in 2016 and 2017. It's NPR. NPR News is presentada a usted en parte por la Providence Kodiak Island Centro de Asoramiento. Para una cita o más información, por favor, llama al 907-481-2400. There are many 5K events, and some of them are for charities. But there's only one milk run. 
The Milk Run is a fundraising event for the Kodiak Kindness Project, a nonprofit that aims to help young parents with all methods of infant feeding, hence the name. Here's Heather Priest, volunteer executive director for Kodiak Kindness, describing the event. The Milk Run actually started by a participant in our program back in 2013, and she approached me wanting to just raise awareness in the community about the Kindness Project and do a little community fundraiser, and it took off from there. We help families nourish their babies, and babies drink milk of different kinds, and so we thought the name, the Kodiak Milk Run, was a fitting name for the event. It is a fundraising event, but also an awareness-raising event uh, timed around the same time as World Breastfeeding Week in the world, which is uh, marked all over the world in different ways. There was no milk run last year in light of the pandemic, but the year-long hiatus isn't the only noteworthy thing about this year's milk run. This year marks a special year of the milk run, Because in March 1st of 2021, the Kindness Project became its own independent nonprofit, and we are operating separately from Providence Hospital, which we used to operate under the auspices of Providence for many years. So we kind of notched it up to the next level. We've got T-shirts this year designed by local famous artist Brianna Gibbs. So they're going to be a collector's item, I'm sure. And it's not just the one race. There will be a plethora of activities for kids and adults of all ages. It's a pick-your-own-distance race. So you can walk, you can run, you can push a stroller, you can have your dog. We have a little kids race on Woody Way Field to begin with, and then we'll start the main community fun run, which can be any distance that you like up to a 5K. We'll also be timing it. So if, you wanna, if you're a serious runner and you, you want to do a timed 5K race, It goes up to that level as well. The milk run will be August 7th at 10 a.m. at Woody Way Field. It's $15 for adults and $35 for families. Registration can be done in person from 9.30 to 9.50, or you can go online. A link will be available on the KMXT website. Today, the Canadian government announced it will open its border August 9th to vaccinated Americans. Travelers who will have to upload proof they've been vaccinated against the coronavirus for at least two weeks, and then they'll have to be tested within 72 hours of arrival and submit a negative test result. The Canada-U.S. border has been closed to non-essential travel since March of last year. Across Alaska, Chambers of Commerce, among other organizations, are offering incentives for people to get vaccinated against COVID-19. The state of Alaska is hoping to launch a new incentive program, but $50 gift cards or a chance to win a larger pile of money can only go so far. Alaska Public Media's Liz Ruskin has this report. Alaska State Chamber of Commerce President Kate Kaposi says she doesn't have much data yet on the $1 million incentive program that local chambers are operating, but she says it seems to be working. Some communities have actually asked for more funding because it's been so wildly popular uh, that they they see more opportunity to continue these incentive programs and uh, get more people to show up to get their vaccinations. 
Manilak in northwest Alaska offered a drawing for a drum of stove oil, but typically the incentive is money. In July, the Anchorage Chamber began supplying city-run clinics with $50 gift cards to give to newly vaccinated Alaskans to redeem at local businesses. Bethel offered $100 cards for the grocery stores. The vaccine is now widely available in Alaska. The people most eager to get it have probably done so already. UAA economist Kevin Barry examined a small survey of Alaskans who are unvaccinated. But the most common reasons why people are hesitant, number one is I don't think I need it. Number two is side effects. And the third one is I don't trust the vaccines. Barry says incentives work to get people who were close to the threshold anyway. Cash or even free beer has a way of lowering barriers. But Barry says incentives aren't that helpful for people who don't trust science or authority figures. The folks that I know who don't trust the government would trust them even less if they were being plied with free beer. Because then the question would be, if it's so good, why are you bribing me? You'll find exactly that kind of response among some Alaskans if you look at the Facebook posts where local chambers of commerce announce their vaccine incentives. Economist Jonathan King, an Anchorage consultant, says research conducted outside shows an ideological split when it comes to monetary vaccine incentives. It turns out that that actually tends to work better, at least the data suggests that that works better on people who are on the leftward side of the political spectrum. For the right, the right is more interested in, well, is this a path to freedom from uh, the restrictions associated with the virus. And King says that's a problem in Alaska. Conservative areas like the Matsu, Kenai Peninsula, and southeast of Fairbanks have the lowest vaccination rates, and they never had much in the way of local restrictions to lift. Reporting from Anchorage, I'm Liz Ruskin. One of the co-creators of the Inuit band Bumua released his first album as a solo artist, and he brought other indigenous Alaskan musicians along for the ride. KTOO's Chandra Safran talked with Yupik artist Kwajung Stephen Blatchett and his fellow collaborators. Kwajung is the Yuktu name of Stephen Blanchett. His new album may be solo, but it has some big indigenous pop supergroup energy. He relocated with his family to Klingit territory a few years ago and collaborated with other indigenous Alaskan artists like Juno's Arius Hoyle, who goes by Air Jazz. The result is Mew, a record imbued with the polish of decades in the music industry, the rich texture of soul, funk, rock, and hip-hop, and the wisdom shared across generations of native pop artists. That's one of the reasons why I moved to Juno. Because of the art scene here and like the culture. And Thanks. and I knew at that moment, around that same time, I was going to work on this album. Um, I hadn't gone in the studio yet, but I knew in my mind, I'm going to work with Arias. I'm going to work with Byron Nikolai, Akuma too. Um, And so these, you know, artists that are, you know, coming into their own style of music and, and they're also hip hop, which I was like, I wanted some hip-hop in, in, my, in my project. For Juno's Arius Hoyle, who is a generation younger than Kajung, there was a lot of value in working with another native pop musician. Arius, air jazz, 
Yech na chatsiti, ganach teidi ayachat. Shia awud nechi ka an yat husani. Gunach chi shachunchian hat yadi. Ah, it is your boy Air Jazz, aka Arius Hoyle, aka Yaudine. Hoyle described the seamlessness between creative and cultural expression in their work. The things he does are exactly what I strive to do. Because as long as you're representing your people, there's no right way to do it. You just express yourself, and it's going to slap. And that was the best wisdom he ever gave me. Kajung said working alongside someone with Hoyle's colorfulness pushed him to step up his own style. Because you're right. He, he just kind of came into the scene just fully formed, right? Baked out, just ready, knew what his style is and his sound, and had, has a uh, maturity, right, in his performance. Both artists have a strong style that you can see in the video for On That Day. As one of the local actors in the video, I got the chance to get a glimpse at his vision behind the scenes. Without giving too much away, masks from many different Alaska Native cultures feature prominently in the video. Because the masks told stories, and that's what the function of them were. They weren't made for wall hangings and stuff like that, where a lot of what you, the masks that you see nowadays, you know, they... You know, they get made and, you know, put up on someone's wall as a piece of artwork. You know, those those masks were made for performance. Those masks were made for to tell stories. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, the, that was one of the first things to go, right? With the suppression of our dances, the masks were, you know, the, by the from the missionaries and, and, and um, you know, colonizers, they, they really used the masks against us. They used our songs and our dances and our ceremonies, and especially the masks, against us. And so we're, we're wanting to, you know, tell these stories and bring them to light and bring them to life. As for the future of Native Pop? I want it to explode. But what is it that's going to make you stand out? And for a lot of Indigenous artists, it, that's, it's that indigeneity. It's like that love of your culture, um, of your language, where they're just rapping hip hop in their indigenous language. Like that sets them apart from everybody else. Kajung's album Mew is out now on all streaming platforms. From Klinget Ani, Wonga Ekugan, Chandra Safran. So why don't you take your mind to another place? We temperate rainforest, the emperor's rainforest. Remember this day for the eagle wolf is huffing and puffing. He's buffer while stuffing him up and down his gullet like nothing. Give the cog one time to from Kuna. This Gucci has Gucci Yana men in Una. This is for the Tongass, not Christopher Columbus. Northwest, Southeast, Compass. From burgers to buildings, supply chain issues and spikes in prices are complicating business all around Alaska. KTOO's Jeremy Shea has this report. Economists like McDonald's. I'll open it for you. Uh, yes, can I have your uh, number five? Uh, with sweet and sour. 
Alan Brown moved to Juneau recently from Nashville, Tennessee, okay, like? and he's Please got a little please. sticker shock. There you go. Thanks. Okay. 1017 is my total at home, and it'll have been like seven and change. Hmm. Brown is not an economist, but he just did a thing economists like doing with McDonald's menu. He compared the price of an identical product in two different markets. The Economist magazine has its Big Mac index, but for decades, state economists have gone with the quarter pounder with cheese, occasionally highlighting what it costs in different Alaska communities in the magazine Alaska Economic Trends. Spoiler alert for the July issue, it's $5.49 in Juneau, up 10 cents from before the pandemic. This issue of Trends focuses on spikes in the cost of living and attributes a lot of that to supply chain problems related to the pandemic. There was deflation last year amid lockdowns, but now the world is reopening. McDonald's wouldn't answer questions for this story, but a local food truck business that specializes in burgers shared what's driven its first price increases since opening in 2014. On social media last month, Pucker Wilson's said its supply costs have more than doubled since January, so the prices of most menu items went up by a dollar. Restaurants generally operate on thin profit margins, so they're especially sensitive to changes in food prices. Plus, staffing is tough right now, and there are fewer customers around with a short cruise ship season. This is by far, in a way, the hardest thing that uh, we've ever had to deal with. Risha Wilson is the main owner of five downtown Juno restaurants, including the Hangar on the Wharf. She says market conditions led her to leave two of her seasonal restaurants closed this summer and raise prices. It's difficult to manage your day-to-day operations and just get through the day, let alone worrying about having to reprint your menus and pay attention to the inflation as we lean into a very different business model. She says prices are up across the board, with meats and seafood especially. She hopes the supply chain problems are temporary and that she can rebuild her businesses. Melanie Shivens runs the economic publications firm Raincoast Data in Juneau. I think that most people, most organizations miscalculated how quickly once people got the vaccines and once the vaccines were distributed, how quickly sort of normal life would return and so normal demand. And so you just see a lag and you see it locally, nationally, globally in terms of getting the supply chains up to the level of the demand that that we are now having. So burgers and menu prices are one indicator of supply chain issues. Shivens highlighted another price-related indicator, often measured by the millions. So we're seeing a lack of building supplies. <laughs> we see that locally with, with our building projects. Our construction projects have gotten really expensive really fast. The Alaska Department of Transportation and Public Facilities does a lot of construction. We are definitely seeing price fluctuations, a lot of prices going up, uh, material shortages in general across the board. Christopher Goins is a DOT construction engineer who estimates he'll oversee more than $140 million in construction contracts across the region this season. The way competitive bidding on government contracts goes, construction companies doing work now likely locked in what they're being paid months ago, or even years ago for multi-season projects, before materials prices went wild. Yeah, so the most part, Our contracts in the state of Alaska really don't have what we call escalation clauses. When a dollar amount comes in, it's pretty much a fixed dollar amount for that contract. Goins says the department has been willing to give contractors extra time, but it's on them to factor risk into their bids, which Goins is seeing for projects in the bidding stage now. When bids come in higher than budgeted, there's only a few options. Ask policymakers for more money, 
scale projects back to fit the budget, or don't build. So that, that's the harsh, hard realities uh, of the budgeting process from our end. Looking forward, Goins has hopes, but no certainty. I don't think we're through this inflationary blip, if it is a blip. And hopefully the markets, as the country gets back to producing and the world gets back to producing, we hope that some of those higher spikes will begin to, to fall. The industry group Associated General Contractors of America has said the materials and supply chain problems may put some firms out of business and add to the industry's high unemployment rates. In Juno, I'm Jeremy Shea. KMXT Local News is underwritten in part by GCI. GCI has adjusted store hours across the state to keep our customers and employees as safe as possible during this time. The most up-to-date store hours are available on GCI.com. This is Alaska Fish Radio. I'm Lainey Welch. Fish grown from its own cells heads to market next year. More after this. Halibut and Black Cod Buyers and Sellers. Simplify your sales online from one location at the Seafood Auction. Visit seafoodauction.net. Glistening fish fillets grown from their own cells are set to be on the market as soon as next year. A needle biopsy takes the cells mainly from fish muscle tissue that are then nurtured on a mix of liquid vitamins, amino acids, and sugars. San Diego-based Blue Nalu launched in 2018 and is now a leader in the cellular aquaculture movement. President and CEO Lee Cooperhouse spoke with Tradex about the company's plans for bringing its fish to market. So we are designing a best-in-class uh, processing facility to manufacture salt-based seafood. And what it becomes is an innovation center uh, where we can continually roll out new species and new forms. So mahi-mahi, then bluefin tuna as a cube, as a filet, as a strip, and really get market feedback. So if we were to talk this time next year, we would have products in commerce. Cooper House said Blue Nalu plans to break ground on a 40,000-square-foot pilot factory within two years. Its goal is to begin selling to global markets shortly after. The company calls cell-based seafood a third addition to the seafood supply chain, alongside wild-caught and farm-raised fish. Its goal is to provide a consistent product with 100% yield, with the exact same nutritional benefits of conventional fish. Cooperhouse says while there has been cell-based growing on animals, their work with fish is a first. This is a blank piece of paper. Nobody had the knowledge of propagating fish cells. All the science was on mammalian cells. So there's an awful lot of uh, techniques, but obviously, you know, everything is distinctive and we're all figuring this out together, but there's clearly no barriers to getting this accomplished. It just takes time and tenacity to figure out the exact approach. Blue Nalu says it believes in truthful and accurate labeling that identifies all fish as wild, farmed, genetically tweaked, or cell cultured. Fish Radio is also brought to you by OBI Seafoods in Kodiak. I'm Lainey Welch. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. The Alaska Department of Fishing Game in Kodiak with Kodiak Commercial Salmon Fishery Advisory Announcement Number 22, date issued 10 a.m. on July 18th. The Spearden Bay Special Harvest Area will open to commercial salmon fishing at noon Tuesday, July 20th, and remain open until further notice. 
There will be a 105-hour commercial salmon fishing period from noon Tuesday, July 20th to 9 p.m. Saturday, July 24th in the following areas. In the northwest Kodiak District, except for the Kajubiak Bay section, will remain closed. The outer Ayakulik and Halibut Bay sections of the southwest Kodiak District. The Cape Alatak, Alatak Bay, Mosier Bay, and Olga Bay sections of the Alatak District. And the southwest Afognak section of the Afognak District. There will be an 81-hour commercial salmon fishing period from noon Tuesday, July 20th to 9 p.m. Friday, July 23rd in the following areas. In the Raspberry Strait, northwest of Fognac, Shuyak Island, Pauls Bay, Paranosa Bay, northeast of Fognac, Duck Bay, and southeast of Fognac sections of the Fognac District. The Humpy Deadman section of the Alatak District, the northeast Kodiak District, except for the Buskin River section will remain closed, and the Eastside Kodiak District. There will be a 57-hour commercial salmon fishing period from noon Tuesday, July 20th to 9 p.m. Thursday, July 22nd in the Mainland District. As previously announced, the Azua Bay section of the Afognak District remains open until further notice. And short notice in-period closures may occur for seine fisheries in the seaward zones of the North Shalikoff area as designated in the North Shalikoff Strait Sockeye Salmon Management Plan. Closure announcements may occur at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., noon, 2 p.m., 5 p.m., or 8 p.m. on VHF Channel 6. Until further notice in that portion of the northwest and southwest Kodiak District, south of the latitude of Cape Kuliak, king salmon 28 inches or greater in length may not be retained by purse gear in the commercial fishery and must be returned to the water unharmed. And other closed waters are shown in the Kodiak Area Salmon Statistical Chart and detailed in commercial salmon fishing regulations and statistical charts. Harvest strategies and commercial salmon fishing regulations are available at the Kodiak Fishing Game Office. And, of course, the most recent salmon fishery information may be obtained by calling the department's 24-hour recorder phone at 486-4559. Thank you very much. Good luck fishing. This is the Alaska Department of Fishing Game. Good afternoon, and welcome to your Island Messenger for Monday. It is the 19th day of July, the year 2021. The sun rose today at 539. It won't set again until 1050. That will give us 17 hours and 11 minutes of glorious daylight, a loss of 3 minutes and 28 seconds compared to yesterday. Our record low for this day was 38, set in 1927. Our record high was 77, set in 1977 2016, and 2019. 62 degrees right now, and we are predicted to get all the way up to 60, so I guess we're beyond that. Calm winds turning to the east of 5 miles per hour. Mostly cloudy skies overnight with a low of about 53. East wind to 5 will become calm this evening. Rain tomorrow, high near 59. Calm winds will turn to the southeast and for Tuesday night, rain as well, low about 53. Light and variable winds become, will become northeast to 10 miles per hour after midnight on Tuesday night. And we are looking at rain, it looks like, in the forecast through Saturday. We have an outgoing tide. Our next low tide will be at 3.52 p.m. here on the east side. That'll be a 2.4-foot tide followed by a high tide at 10.29 this evening of 9 feet. Our low tide for early in the morning tomorrow will be at 5.40 a.m. and be 0 feet. And our high tide for lunchtime tomorrow here on the east side will be at 12.07 and be 5.8 feet. Over on the west side, your low tide will occur at 4.46 p.m. and be 3.8 feet. 
followed by a high tide at 11.01 p.m. of 14 feet. Your next low tide will be at 6.10 a.m. of minus 0.6 feet, and your high tide for lunchtime over in Larson Bay will be at 12.28 p.m. and be 10.4 feet. Don't forget there will be a Board of Education regular meeting tonight. That begins at 6.30 p.m. at the District Services Conference Room, number F140 in the old high school wing. That will also be streamed through Blue Jeans. Meeting login information can be found at the Kodiak Island Borough School District website. That's at www.kibsd.org. And look under the Board of Education tab. For more information, call Bianca Clark, Secretary of the Board of Education, at 486-7566. And, of course, it will be broadcast live right here on KMXT at 6.30 p.m. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT two times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. and during the Midday Report at 12.20. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.